In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I am the good shepherd, our Lord says. As his sheep, we give thanks that the Lord not only left his voice echoing throughout the remainder of human history, but he left his church standing. He is the good shepherd. And for good reason, he summoned of St. Peter after the resurrection a deeper love than was demanded of the other apostles because more would be asked of him. For all the holy popes who have followed in his footsteps, the countless, actually the very countable, martyr popes, And all the others who suffered for the faith, we give great thanks and honor to God that he's able to raise up shepherds after his own heart. And for all the others, we give thanks and praise to God that he shows the remarkable power of his grace to govern even those who do not want to be governed. For some time now, I've kept a list in my shirt pocket, as you can see, it's well used, of all 266 popes. You've seen it, some of you have seen it before. And to me, it's a reminder of how the Lord, being our good shepherd, who promised us that he would always give us shepherds, has kept his promise. And when we consider the glory of the Catholic Church, we think of her saints, her martyrs, her confessors, the virgin martyrs, founders and foundresses, the holy popes, the courageous popes, those who raised up armies of praying faithful, and even armies of sword-wielding faithful. From, From my vantage point, even more glorious are the times when the when the Holy Spirit governed the church through someone who would not end up being a saint, the ones who were even outright heretics before they were elected pope, the ones whose sins were public and many. And so we give thanks and glory to God that he has given us shepherds and continues to give us shepherds. It's also good to simply remark and observe if we were living in the 10th century or the 15th century or the 18th century, we would go all 100 years of that century without having a pope who was canonized, let alone even beatified. And when we have the the glory of being guided by a shepherd who is obviously intending to be holy personally and obviously intending to be faithful, followed by how many consecutive popes. We have good reason to pray for our Holy Father every day because he needs our prayers. 
We all have favorite shepherds. It goes without saying. Favorite priests, favorite confessors, favorite pastors, favorite bishops, favorite cardinals. We were blessed, as, as almost all of you know, on this past Monday, to have a pontifical low mass offered here by Cardinal Burke. And it was, it was fortunate. At the very last minute, things were coordinated enough that I was able to get out the word on behalf of Georgetown University's Latin Mass Society that his invitation, uh, extended by them, uh, was going to be uh, taking place here and that uh, everyone was welcome to attend. It was, it was beautiful um, to be visited by someone who is suffering for the church, someone who is suffering for the faith, someone who suffers not only at the hands of uh, the San Francisco Chronicle or other, uh, other outlets similar who persecute other good shepherds. But even, even by other churchmen. And, he, and he, he's, he's willing to suffer and he's willing to be hated. And so he deserves our prayers as well. As so to do many others who are um, trying to make very clear the perennial teaching of Christ. Not the teachings of the church, not just quotations from the catechism, but the teaching of Christ. When we know that we are professing the teaching of Christ, we can be brave and calm. When we know that we are explaining and defending the teachings of Christ, we can be totally peaceful and totally confident and unrelenting willing to endure whatever, always cognizant of how we need to be able to present it well and persuasively, beautifully. The message will always be finding in us uh, an unworthy messenger, but that makes us all the more grateful to do it. One consideration of meditation for you on this Good Shepherd Sunday Our Lord, in speaking of himself as the good shepherd and us as the sheep, has us recalling his parable of the good shepherd who goes out after the one lost sheep, leaving the 99. And like so many of the other parables that we read in Luke's gospel especially, Our Lord is asking us who would go after the one sheep, the one lost sheep, and leave the 99 behind. And the answer would have been then, nobody. Nobody would, nobody would just abandon the 99 sheep and go after one. He asks the question many times, who of you would, um, in looking for a coin of some modest value, would turn over every piece of furniture in your house until you found it? And the answer is, mm, nobody. But God loves us so much that he does. He did. He will. And we're not stretching the parable too far 
by asking ourselves, what would it be like to be one of the 99 who all of a sudden, for, for a time, for a brief time, um, don't see the shepherd? We hear his voice, but it's faint. We're not sure where it's coming from. We know we're not stretching that parable too far because our Lord tells also the lesson of the prodigal son. And how often do we feel like we're in the position of the older son, the one who's always been there, the one who's always been faithful, who all of a sudden is not only forgotten, but has to witness so much attention being spent on the one who wasn't faithful. The one, who, the one who walked away deliberately. And the one who's being welcomed back, even welcomed back, even though his repentance is obviously canned. His, his contrition is obviously not totally perfect. Fortunately, the fathers of the church won't allow us to identify too long with the 99 or with the elder son because the fathers of the church will encourage us to read the 99 good sheep as the angels that have always served God faithfully and that each and every one of us is that one lost sheep. And so we give thanks to God that he died for us even while we were in rebellion. And that God inspires shepherds to go looking for the lost sheep. And in the meantime, we also should be looking for other lost sheep while we try to keep ourselves on the right path. And genuinely rejoice when someone starts to come back they might not understand everything yet. They might not even be aware of all of the sins that they will need to confess, but they're headed back. Speaking of favorite shepherds, Father McAfee as well, he still has a week of vacation. He'll be back next Sunday. And do we give thanks for all the, all the young men who are responding to the call, all the ones that have come from this parish, all the deacons that assisted this parish, two of whom will be ordained priests in short order. If you see the taller deacon with a Midwest accent outside on the sidewalk, brother, or rather Deacon Bill Meininger from Fort Wayne South Bend, he'll be here today just for his last, his last weekend of service. He'll be ordained a priest in just a few weeks back home in Indiana. And brother Charles, the bearded deacon whom you hear occasionally chanting the epistle, he'll be ordained a priest at the end of May, God, God willing, in St. Dominic's church. And we need to pray for more vocations. Every parish should produce a young man and a young woman entering into formation every year. And they don't come out of the ether. They come from our families. 
They come from our encouraging young people to be pure and chaste so that they have the, the, the ability to even meditate and discern. Because without purity and without chastity, it's impossible to discern a life of celibacy. In the same way that it's really impossible to be prepared well for marriage. And we need to encourage people, young people, to consider specific vocations as a missionary, as a medical servant, as a teacher, or even just as a plain old ordinary parish priest. That young soul whom strikes you isn't someone that you go up and say, I think you're supposed to be a priest, as though we can add more guilt to make them enter the seminary. But we might say, have you ever thought about being a priest? I think you should. I think you might, I think you, I think you might become a good one. Encourage and pray for those who seem to have the call. There are very, there's very little encouragement that they receive, even within Catholic families. Who would, who would be concerned about what kind of seminary they might go to, which was more of a concern 20, 30 years ago, or concerned about what kind of bishop to whom they might have to make a promise of obedience. Well, we all, we all have a bishop. Fortunately, in Arlington, we've had good ones. There are other reasons why, why families, even even Practicing families, practicing Catholic families, discourage vocations, which means we then, who, in, who want to encourage them, need to go out of our way even more so. The Lord promised us that he would always be our good shepherd and that he will always send us shepherds. But that doesn't mean that every shepherd whom he calls responds. It doesn't mean that every vocation that ought to have been happens. It's said that we get the priests that we deserve. I, I, I apologize for having to say that. That means we need to pray and do penance and pray confidently knowing that God, God loves us. Pray confidently as in anticipation of God fulfilling our needs and responding to our prayers favorably. And pray for the shepherds who, uh, who have become bad sheep. In the diocese, Priests know that I keep a, a list of every priest who's ever been part of the Diocese of Arlington. And every Holy Thursday, I offer my Mass at the cathedral for every priest who is uh, away from the flock. Be it a priest who's sidelined for medical reasons or who's been removed, or who has uh, left the church, or just simply uh, left the vocation.
when you look at the altar after the chalice veil comes off, you'll see my very simple chalice. Used to belong to our chancellor who had been my pastor for most of my uh, older childhood through college. And the summer after I graduated from college, he took his own life. And I knew attending his funeral mass in the cathedral that if one day I become a priest many years down the road, I'll ask to have his chalice. When it came time for my diaconate to happen, I asked Father Gould if he wouldn't mind asking Bishop Keating if, Mon- if uh, Monsignor Reidink's chalice might be given to me. And he said, good luck, because I've asked for it, and lots of priests have asked for it, but the bishop hasn't, hasn't given it to anybody. Fortunately, he entrusted it to me. And it's a great reminder that every, every vocation is fragile and needs prayers every day and needs the grace of God every day. And so even our great heroes, the ones whom we expect to become beatified and canonized, the Cardinal Burks and the Cardinal Pells and the Cardinal Wallets and many, many others, they need our prayers our encouragement, our love. They need the grace and the company of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement and the prayers of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so it's beautiful to imagine another great man of the church having been here at this altar, having prayed with us, having prayed for us. And it'll be always a privilege to be able to tell him that we're always praying for him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.